0: Over the last few years, event professionals have seen a lot of changes and challenges that are going to have a lasting effect on the industry. Welcome to Event Horizons, where we go behind the scenes with event professionals to keep our finger on the pulse of the exciting and ever-changing events industry. I'm Nolan Ether.
1: And I'm Olivia van Kuren. Today, we're talking with Miguel Nevsh, Editor-in-Chief at SCIF meetings.
0: He's deeply engaged in the global online community of event professionals and he lives and breathes the event tech sector.
1: Miguel describes himself as a curious creator and caring curator of computerized content and a conscious connector of charismatic characters.
2: That was great. Usually <laughs> that's a bit of a tongue twister. It usually <laughs> looks better in writing than it sounds. So you did very well.
0: Awesome. Is there anything else uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started?
2: No, just happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I've been uh, you know, following uh, the... Uh, Webex, uh you know journey for a while and your journey as well so it's been it's been fun and uh, happy to be part of it
1: amazing well yeah thank you miguel for joining us we're really excited um and I'll, I'll kick us off with our our first question so we concluded our last season just before the holidays last year and i think at the time um you know in the fall we had seen in-person events come back and we were kind of all gearing up for the spring season this year. Um, how how do you think the state of the events industry has shifted since then? Do you still feel that that buzz and excitement for in-person events? Um, what's changed? What feels the same?
2: It's a big question. Um, I think we we ask that kind of almost every day uh, of ourselves and our readers. I think there's definitely still a lot of focus on in-person. I think there's also a bit of a great, we can do the things that we were doing three years ago, but how do we do better? How do we do more interesting? How do we go beyond that? It's an interesting period because I think the industry is really happy to gather again in person. I'm not sure attendees and, and, and even kind of on the sales side, they're as excited. I think it's it's good for us to step outside our bubble. And really kind of see, okay, so what are our attendees talking about? Are they happy? Are they just happy to meet again? Or do they expect more? And so I'm starting to see some events kind of really stick out and go, oh, well, this is kind of interesting. And my thoughts are that those are the ones that are really going to be exciting. Those are the ones that people are really going to, you know, fight to go. And, and, and you know, the budgets are limited. Um, so, you know, you're not able to go to every event that you that you would like to. And so you're going to choose the ones that you think are really interesting. And some of them you're going to choose because you like the beach or the destination. And that's just something we have to live with in events. That's not a lot, you know, we can't control that most of the time. But other times there's, you know, there's experiences, there's things happening at the event that are pretty unique, whether it's the people that are there that you might be able to meet, or if there's actually activations that are really unique or things to do. And and I think those events are really starting to stand out. So I'm expecting that kind of difference of the events that are doing that with the ones that are kind of just sticking to kind of known formulas to really start to separate them. You know, I'm really closely kind of following that. And and I'm all for, you know, events that are pushing the boundaries and not everything works. And event planners are traditionally very adverse to kind of change and to taking risks, which is completely understandable. You don't get a do-over in any kind of event, really. It's very time-specific. But participants also have some understanding of maybe things didn't work perfectly but at least we tried something different and uh, and hopefully those events are you know really doing new things and and striving for for kind of going beyond and yeah we're going to figure out what works and what doesn't pretty soon
0: totally yeah you you've named a couple of the challenges I think here that we want to go a little bit deeper into today but uh let's let's see if we can lay out a couple of couple more so What are some of the top challenges or concerns that you're hearing from event professionals right now as we're getting ready to head into the spring event season?
2: I think we we went through this phase last year, particularly of a lot of compression and, you know, a lot of events happening. Some were postponed still from the pandemic or some, you know, there were just like a lot of companies that just wanted to do events and get back together. And so people were super busy at the end of 22. It was this crazy kind of event season. I think a lot of professionals were saying they were busier than ever, right? Which is great, you know, coming out of the pandemic when obviously it was really hard for a lot of people. So that's great to see. Uh, But now it's sort of like, how does that stabilize? I think in terms of um, event space and finding availability, it's still a massive challenge. I think the next like two years for large or larger sized events is really challenging to find you know availability where you'd like to have the event. That's a big challenge, but at the same time, you still have properties you still have services you still have a lot of things around the industry that aren't running seamlessly you know there's staffing issues there's uh, supply chain issues so you know there's a lot of demand prices are high because demand is is low or and not demand is low you know availability is low but at the same time the service level isn't that high and i'm starting to see some cracks appear you know there are cracks from before but i'm starting to see some people kind of say hey i'm not going to I'm not going to sign this contract because you can't guarantee the level of service that I'm looking for. So therefore, you know, where does that leave us? So I think there's a lot of stress in the industry about how to, how to place that, how to figure that out. Uh, And what are we going to do about it? Because there are only so many different venues out there, right? Um, That are kind of ready and available. And I think, you know, some people are looking outside the box, you know, rather than going to a hotel ballroom or something like that, go to somewhere that's not as used to running events and there's a lot of risks involved that. That's why ballrooms are popular, right? They're sort of empty boxes that are ready for you to do whatever you want. If you're going to go to somewhere that's not used to running professional uh, events, then it's a little it's a little more challenging. And I guess, you know, on the technology side, I think we're also kind of seeing this. I, I mean, I'm sure you're experiencing it, and I'd love to, to hear your point of view as well. But, you know, this there isn't that kind of need for finding the ultimate technology. It's almost like a more of a desire for technology to just run smoothly and things to just power events really seamlessly and integrate better. And and I think also there's this big jump now, the first party data run, right? Events are seen as one of the few ways of getting high quality first party data when you, you you have your marketing funnels all set up and without cookies and without all the different kind of wizardry that people tend to do online, Events are one of the few ways to really gather new customers. And so I think marketing teams are sort of realizing that and going, mm, we need to figure this out. And events are not events are not web pages. Events are not something you can just suddenly streamline and figure out exactly the design that's gonna work, you know, the best way. You can't A-B test indefinitely. You only have one chance at a time, right? So I think marketing teams are also sort of struggling with that a little bit and getting a bit of pushback from event teams. And there's a, an interesting kind of dynamic there, where it's like, wait, we know events. Events are a little different. You can't just, you know, kind of tweak little things here and there. It's it's a little it's a little bit different. And I think a lot of marketing people are probably rejecting that initially, and then going, oh, actually, there is some sort of truth to this, and uh, let's figure out how to do this. So, I almost feel like there's there's probably like a a new kind of brand of event marketer coming up ahead that can really kind of uh, do well from, from both perspectives, which is exciting.
1: Totally. Yeah, for sure. And Miguel, how do you think that event professionals should think differently during this event season? Is it thinking differently about production, content, data? What are those kind of key things that you think will help event professionals kind of elevate their event programs and, and create really, meaningful experiences for attendees? I
2: think data is definitely part of it. You know, a little bit what we were talking about before the the, the first party data focus. I think um, yeah, we're seeing a number of acquisitions in, in the kind of the trade show sector as well. And I think data is driving a lot of that. You know, that idea that you have a, a show that is popular and, and people register for it. Because, you know, from a publishing perspective, and, and you probably find the same thing, it's very important for us to gather data. It's very important for you to gather data as a company, right? You want to get those leads, you want to get people interested in your product, you want to attract them in some way. But attending events, I feel like when you register for an event, you more easily um give data or like transmit data or tell answer questions essentially. Um because there's a sort of there's a tangible physical thing that you're going to do and you understand Particularly if you're a buyer and you're kind of entering as a sort of hosted buyer perspective or something like that, when, you know, when part of the registration process asks, like, you know, what does your business do? What are you interested in kind of looking for? It makes sense. You're like, hey, I'm going to go to this trade show and I want to look for a, uh, you know, a virtual event platform or I'm looking for a registration platform. And therefore, that's hugely valuable data, right? That's hugely valuable for the organizer when you're sort of producing online content or getting people to register for a newsletter it's very rare to kind of be able to ask those kind of questions and get that information back usually you're like we're just going to get your email and that's it right because you just want to make it as smooth and easy as possible for people so it's kind of like how do you balance that out and i think events are uniquely positioned to still you know the the offer the value that they offer is very tangible it's very kind of straightforward and therefore, I think there's a sort of like a, an agreed exchange where it's like, okay, I get it, you get my data as as, a, as an attendee, but I'm going to get to have this experience, and maybe it's free, maybe you pay for it, but there's still sort of like a a normal kind of exchange. And when you know, compared to online stuff, it, it just feels quite tricky to get that kind of information without getting too geeky. Data understanding, data understanding, data privacy, understanding what people want to share, why they want to share it, and what they hope to get out of it will will really kind of, I think, you know, boost um, potential events and event managers.
1: Yeah, for sure. Are you seeing a lot of that interest in data and any gift research that you guys have collected through reports or you know, surveys? Is that
0: yeah, any data point? I'm curious about any of your recent research and how it impacts the upcoming kind of event season. Whenever we publish
2: an article that has solid data points like research says we from from our survey x happened you know the, people said this or 57% of people said that or whatever you know we've been tracking kind of major event attendance and we had a, an, a, an article last year that said attendance is kind of stuck at about 65% and that caused all sorts of ruckus in the industry you know some, some people were against it but you know we said look here's the data we looked at We didn't look at you know a huge amount of events, but it was like out of these like 20 events, this is roughly the average, and they're not deviating that much and nobody could argue with that, right? So I think there's this real understanding that data is valuable, um, but I think there's a problem when it comes to um, discussing how that works and and that's the challenge, right it's like it's not sexy. it's like Excel spreadsheets are not sexy, but they're important. <laughs> How do we balance that out? How do, we, how do we, you know, kind of make that easier for event professionals? And I think, you know, b- both of us, it, from kind of very different perspectives are kind of struggling with that and trying to figure out how to do that. Right?
0: I'm curious, you know, now that in-person events are back, what do you think is going to be different about in-person events now that we've been through virtual we've been through not being in in person like you were saying you know of course there's some uh venues that are not used to supporting it and so those will there there will probably be some hiccups there but assuming someone's doing it really well having learned all the lessons what does kind of a new event uh, in person event look like think of like a big in person event like an IMAX or something like that and how does virtual kind of play in if we're back to 100% capacity you think
2: yeah i think from a from an in person perspective It's the seamless technology. It's the really kind of invisible technology that I think people are really starting to expect that, I don't know, whether it's a QR code check-in or an app that tells you how full a room is. These are not necessarily easy things to do, but they're really valuable and you really you know, I think you've we've gone through years of people kind of questioning why would I download the app of this event, right? Like sometimes you know there isn't a program, so it's like the, really the only way to look at the education. But you know it's it's not like event apps for a while kind of I felt like they stagnated a bit. It was like, okay, there was some useful information. It was nice to have a map. But if you had a, a decent printed program, it was actually probably a lot more a lot quicker to access things and to kind of like see through things. So so that was a little bit challenging. But I think you know seamless check-in, uh, capacity monitoring, just kind of simple things like that. It's 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 funny. It's not the it's not the really flashy things. A lot of times, it's just that stuff where it's like, actually, this just works really well. You know, like I want to search for you know through the attendee list and just filter out anybody who does event apps. You know, and if you can do that, you know, in in three or four seconds, you're not going to use a program anymore. You're going to use the app, right? That that's kind of like straightforward. When it comes to virtual, I I think. You know, for a while we were talking about hybrid. I don't think anybody outside the industry really talks that much about hybrid. It it sort of feels like this this weird, like oh, it's going to all be hybrid, and it's like actually it's not. And and most people see hybrid as this very complex thing. You know, whether they're right or wrong, we could we could definitely argue about that for forever. But I do think that there is really this like in person plus virtual. It seems to be sort of the norm. And I think most events. I know, for example, IMAX is not. Um, capturing most of their sessions I feel like that's a bit of a a bit of a loss on their part uh, but you know they have their reasons and it, it is an industry very focused on in person so that's you know it is what it is but I do think that most events uh, like for example Adobe Summit is starting today you know quite a quite a famous event they're live streaming not every session but they're live stream kind a number of sessions and they're doing it you know open you know no no sign up or anything you just go on the, on the website and it's there you know the keynotes wow. are just kind of up there. I feel like that's really where we're heading in terms of, and, and it makes sense, right? You, you have these big stages, you have these big productions, you're probably aiming some cameras at the stage anyway. So whether you're trying to then live stream that and make that into an event experience, whether you're just capturing that and using that later on demand or however you think works best, or whether you're live streaming, but not really making an event. I think Adobe kind of probably falls into this category. You know, they're they're streaming on a number of channels, but they're essentially just sort of using it for extra exposure. They're not trying to capture registrations. I think, you, you know, you do if you participate in, you know, we want to see more sessions, but there's a sort of like media exposure element to it that I think is great when you can just sort of say, hey, we're going to live stream this for free at all our social media channels and people can just you know, there isn't really like an event experience, there's just a stream. And I think that's okay, too, right? I think it really depends on the strategy. But I I do feel like most events are now capturing most of that content. Uh, And also, you know, from a a marketing perspective, those social media clips, you know, vertical video, very important right now, if you can just grab a, a few really good sound bites and make it into a vertical video, some of that stuff can really go viral, you know, and and i think it's it's important one element that i think we haven't probably addressed as much as we should is actually getting the releases from speakers most hmm. events do this reasonably well but the way content is now being used and repurposed i'm not sure all speakers are incredibly happy to be like the you know the face of adobe or something for the next few years because they were captured on a clip on stage so I think there's probably some work to be done there and some different opportunities to be explored there because it does feel a little bit like, you know, especially, you know, if you're not getting paid to be on stage or anything like that. Yes, if you're not very well known, it's great exposure and you'll take it. But if you are a an important brand and you're on the stage, I can see a lot of, uh, you know, big name speakers kind of saying, "No, I don't want to I don't want to allow you to use sound bites of my you know, my knowledge uh, in your marketing indefinitely. And therefore, I think there's gonna be some pushback there and we might, you know, kind of have some restrictions to have, that we have to play with.
0: I think everyone agreed, we talked a lot about this. We, we were kind of smelling it in, you know, a little bit last season around kind of the pushback around the word hybrid, especially in the event professional space, right? People don't, people feel like it's a big complicated thing. I think where we found that, that they draw the line on kind of describing it as hybrid is like, if you're just live streaming, that's not hybrid, right? But what about if you get into some of the ways that you were just describing, you know, kind of new expectations for in-person events where you have, you know, the ability to do seamless check-in or the ability to see, you know, how many people are in a particular session um, or, you know, sorting through, you know, communicating with people, whether you're virtual or in-person attendee, you know, whether we call it hybrid or not, you know, it's kind of an inside baseball sort of oh, thing. Yeah. But But is that, I mean, that's essentially hybrid, right? It's kind of like, Hybrid was maybe the word to explain to the industry what we were going to be doing, kind of the way we used to talk about the World Wide Web until under pe- people understood that the Internet was just going to be pervasive. And now we don't need to say that anymore. Right. Is that I mean, how do you how do you think about that? When you have some interaction
2: between people that are in different locations, that's, you know, what some people would call true hybrid. I don't you know, I think true hybrid is, is, is a very kind of tough definition to kind of, you know, kind of figure out exactly. But that idea that you might have somebody on site at the main event, then somebody else at a hub, and then somebody else at home, and somehow you all are watching the same content and interacting in some way, that's what I think people really initially meant by hybrid. And that's super hard to do. It takes a lot of resources. I think people just need to be really patient. They need to really be invested in the event to really enjoy it, because it's not going to be as seamless. Even with all the resources in the world, there's still going to be things that are slightly clunky and, you know set changes that then online do one thing and then on site you do something else. And if you're watching it on your phone, then if you're watching the online version, then it doesn't make sense with what's happening on stage. And you know, it's sort of, I think because technology is also advanced, it's made it a bit trickier to kind of synchronize everything. Now, between that and virtual, you know, in person plus virtual, or even as you kind of said, like I would call what you were describing more like a Technology enhanced in-person event. I don't see like the capacity metric of a room as like a hybrid feature, but you know, there is definitely a sort of enhancement that you could kind of add on to an in-person event that is, you know, like technology driven um and powerful. So there's a huge range in between that, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's I think what most people are finding is that doing things synchronously, like having that experience at many different levels is really hard to do and takes a lot of investment. And in many ways, it's not that needed. Online viewership, you know, I think it's no secret that virtual events, online events, it's hard to keep people's attention. We started the pandemic by doing eight hour a day, three day events online. And then we figured out people don't actually want that, right? Uh, and so I've, I've, I'm on tape kind of saying this, and I'll say it again. I like webinars. I like webinars when they're good webinars. And I think webinars can be super effective and super, you know, and I don't see a huge difference between a webinar and a virtual event. You know, people would argue, A, virtual events have multiple sessions, and maybe there's multiple things happening at the same time. Fair enough. It's a bit more complex. But ultimately, it's about can you present interesting content? Can you have an interesting conversation? And can you engage the audience in some sense? For some people, engaging the audience just means the presenter is really good. For other people, it's polling and you know questions and all that kind of stuff. And again, it's a range. If you have a really good speaker, like, I don't know, Seth Godin, you know one guy that I love to watch speak, I could watch him speak for probably a couple of hours and I would still feel engaged, right? <laughs> Normally, you don't have Seth Godin He's speaking, awesome. right? So then it's like, how do you... I know. I'm also a big fan of polling the audience and interacting with people, so... I just see hybrid as there's so many different shades of hybrid. And I think the most important part of that is understanding what the audience wants and being okay with like, if the virtual audience really prefers to actually just catch up stuff on demand and watch things on double speed if they want to, or just sort of kind of engage in different ways, then I think it's great to find ways of delivering that. Um, And I think there is something to be said about sort of the excitement of when something's live. So when it's just available on demand, I think there is this perception that people will watch it, but actually, very few people do unless it's unless they get credits for it or you know there's other reasons why people go back and watch stuff. So there is some element of like exciting live stuff happening is is important to get people's attention. So it's it's about finding that right balance, and so that's why I don't think hybrid or the concept of doing things hybrid is is dead at all. I just feel like every organization, every business needs to figure out where that kind of interaction where the ideal interaction for their audience is it's great to you know experiment with stuff but there isn't one simple answer to like you know all associations should do this and all corporate you know kickoff events should do this way well it, it, things evolve right and, and people's expectations change as well
1: are you hearing just thinking about in-person events and kind of the balance of formats in an event program are you hearing that You know, as we go back to in-person, are event organizers still, you know, incorporating smaller virtual experiences throughout the year? Do you think there's been an overcorrection to just go, you know, straight back to in-person without, you know, keeping those virtual and hybrid elements a part of a program? Or do you see, you know, in-person kind of being the, um, the guiding light for the next season or two?
2: It's tough to really kind of make a general call. I think what's what's going to happen in in in-person events is that the kind of mid-sized events are gonna drop out. And this is one thing that I've been kind of focusing on a bit. I think any event where you're saying, hey, this is a big event in the industry, everybody's gonna be there, I have to be there, those are gonna survive, those are gonna thrive, I think. Small events that are about making those personal connections, maybe they're buyer seller events, or they're just small regional kind of user group events where you really get to meet a small group of people, I think those are strong and probably gonna 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 grow. I think anything in between is gonna struggle a bit, right that sort of like regional event that's like, okay, it's kind of cool. there are qu- quite a few people here, but it's not the big one. It's like the second one, and then I think those ones are gonna struggle and I think we're gonna see a lot of sort of mergers and acquisitions of companies that are more in those spaces and I fear a little bit for kind of cities and venues that are more kind of dependent on those type of events uh, that wow. aren't usually organizing the big ones. And don't necessarily, you know, live off the small ones. I think it's going to be a bit tricky for them. I'm not saying this is going to happen in all industries. And, and what is the big event will change from person to person. But I think in general that, that there's a little bit of a kind of middle uh, dropping out, I feel. And and so in some ways, I feel like what's going to happen is the virtual events are going to replace that in some ways. There is one caveat to that, which, which you know, we've been tracking attendance and it's great to track attendance. And it would be great to see attendance hit that 100% mark. The one thing that I think is easy to forget is that a lot of events have already disappeared. A lot of events didn't come back from the pandemic. So tracking attendance at 100%, and, and again, I don't say these things to promote them. I say them, this is what I'm observing, right? Like I don't think this is good or I don't wish that upon anybody but i think a lot of events have actually already disappeared mm. so while we may see attendance at 100 or even 110% that's of the survivors
0: right
2: we're not you know we're not counting the ones that disappeared so the overall like if you take business travel as a whole that's probably not going to be at 100% at least not in western europe and uh, and america you know north america i think that's probably going to stay at like 80 85% because companies are just a little bit tighter with their budgets and employee numbers have gone down. So you just don't have as many people traveling and as many people coming to conferences. So this middle dropping out, I think we're going to see it to some extent, but in some extent it's already happened and it's kind of like understanding how it's evolving. And, and you'd probably have to sort of, you know, look at events for event people, which is you know something of course we pay a lot of attention to. If you look at that as a whole, if you look at all the events that happened before the pandemic and happen now, you're probably going to start seeing some holes where you go, oh, yeah, that one doesn't exist anymore. And and it's not as obvious when you're sort of trying to track these big events.
1: And kind of in the same vein, talking about expectations, um, I think that there's challenges with in-person as far as getting people actually to come to your event, actually getting butts and seats and getting people to maybe like fly to your event in Las Vegas or take time out of their schedule, their resources to actually attend an in-person event. With a virtual or hybrid event or the, the digital aspect, there's a challenge in that. There's a little bit of that virtual fatigue where we've all you know been on virtual events for the past three years um, and that can kind of become a little bit um, monotonous. What are the elements that you think event professionals need to kind of um, exceed attendee expectations or from an an attendee perspective, like based on your your research or what you're hearing in the industry, like what from an attendee perspective is going to stand out and, you know, make attendees really want to either make that trip to an in-person event or log on to a virtual experience?
2: I think the key here is personalization. Um, The more you can appeal to what somebody's really needs and somebody's looking for, I think, the better chance you have and the more you can uh, kind of curtail or or kind of manage the event. I I, I still see most marketing around quantity, you know, uh, Adobe Summit. Sorry, I was just looking at Adobe Summit. I don't mean to keep bringing it up, but it's just something I was looking at. 200 sessions. I'm like, I don't know if I want to like search through 200 sessions. Right. Like, that's not actually that appealing. Now, of course, Adobe, you know, is looking, you know, they have a number of different software, a different kind of user kind of target groups. So so it's it's tough. But what I really want is a session about first party data and, and making that really easy to understand. And how do I, you know, like I want stuff that's really important for my day to day work. And the more I can fine tune that, then then I think that stands a better chance. And I think personalization is super important there. I also mean personalization in the sense of not really personalization, but sort of not making assumptions about what people want and, and connecting with them on the journey there. You know, I think often or most kind of marketing plans around events, once somebody registers, you probably send them like a no before you go if if it's an in-person event or maybe even a virtual event. Or you send them like, here's a link to, to log in. There's not a lot of like follow up. Right. And and I think particularly in the case of virtual events where, especially if they're free, there's a huge commitment issue where people sign up. But, you know, I do this as well. And I think everybody else does. They sign up and they're like, maybe I'll watch the replay. Like they're not actually going to be at the event. Right. So, you know, if if it's a high budget event or if it's something that you really want to get right, send them something physical. Right. Like, like we did a, a team building event where we all painted online, you know, as, as part of Skift. And, and it was fun because uh, like a week before the event, we got in the mail, a, you know, an easel and some paints. And it was like, OK, you're going to kind of open this up during the event and you're going to all participate in this. It, you know, not all events can do that or that's not really the point. But even just a little bit of swag or a personalized note from somebody on the event team just saying, hey, really looking forward to the event, you know, would really like you to share your insights, something like that. Even if it's just an email, that s- still goes a long way, right? And I think we sort of just end our sort of push. Once people register, it's sort of done, right? Uh, and so I think personalization in that sense of like keeping that, that getting to know people going after they've registered, I think that's really going to improve the experience and improve the opportunity for you to ask questions and understand what people are actually really looking for.
0: I'm curious so to, to begin to wrap up, thinking about all of the, great points that you've brought up. So personalization, the uses of first party data, the technology enabled, the content, the the different formats, all of that. When when event professionals are looking at event tech solutions, what like what do you think are the table stakes that they definitely need? Like do we need to be able to bridge, you know, virtual, all, all the different, the data from all different virtual events and then the in-person events? Those need to be able to live in one place. Do you need to be able to do some level of personalization within the tool? Like, just what what are the things that you think, uh, you know, if, if a year ago or two or two years ago, it was really like, we need a virtual event platform, right? And I think that was yeah. probably the, the reason why a lot of people bought in. Now, if their needs are changing, what should, how should people be reevaluating their tech stack for events?
2: It's funny, we're just about to release a a report, a new report called Event Technology Made Simple and we're really trying to do that. Um, And what we're doing is we're putting little logos or little icons next to the companies that fulfill some criteria. And the way we're deciding which icons go with which company is really to try and find the things that are deal breakers. And I think those are the really important things, right? Um, so one of the deal breakers that I know some companies have is, how do you treat user data? Right? Most companies in the event space make user data completely private. It's the organizer. And I know user data is still belongs to the user, but the controller of the data is the organizer and the platform is just the processor. Right? You're just helping the data kind of flow. And that is the what most companies do. But some companies, and I'm not going to name anybody, but some companies have this idea of shared control of the data. And so when you log into an event on that platform, you essentially have to become a user of that platform before you can log into a certain event. And that's a problem because if you, you know, you run an event in cardiology and your uh, competitor also runs an event in cardiology, then that user already exists on that platform. And that platform can legally then kind of market or suggest your competitor event to that user. And that's a huge issue, right? That's that's a real problem. So I think it's things like that that are really important to just understand. You know, not every platform is going to do everything perfectly, but not everything's a deal breaker. For example, you know, do you need an, a, a platform that sends emails for you? Or do you have that in your CRM and you'd actually rather use your CRM for that? From a technical perspective, it's probably better to use your CRM but it's really going to depend. How are you set up? You know, can you send thousands of emails to your CRM? Are you, you know, set up that way? Do you normally do that? Can you track that? Does it then flow into the registration easily? If it doesn't, then maybe it's better to use the event platform. So there's like these really key questions to to kind of understand. Um, yeah. And then, you know, stuff like the data, data privacy, processing of payments, um, I don't know, things like that. Those are kind of deal breakers, right? Because if you're running a, a paid-for event with multiple different types of registration and you need to customize all these different accesses of the platform, and a platform doesn't do that, you're probably not going to get a lot of ways around that. It's going to be like, oh, great, we're not able to do all these different pricings and all these different things. So I think those things are really important to understand um, and, and kind of go into those conversations um, with clear knowledge of that.
0: Miguel, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you feel like is critical or important for this upcoming event season?
2: I'm good. I think it's, you know, good to have this conversation. I feel like I've talked a lot. I guess that's that's kind of the point of, of the show. But, uh, but I, you know, I welcome the discussion. Um, you know, happy if anybody wants to argue with me uh, you know point some holes <laughs> into my thinking anything like that really happy to engage in conversations in constructive conversations I'm not here of to course. insult anybody or be insulted so uh, so that's yeah really you know welcome to um, to have those conversations and understand different points of view
0: that was awesome I thought that was a great conversation
1: yeah. Yeah, he had so many good insights. I thought it was interesting how he talked about in-person events and how he sees potentially like the large scale in-person events, uh, those bigger like flagship experiences sticking around and maybe the mid-size events maybe dropping out after the spring and potentially being replaced with more, um, you know, virtual experiences. Again, I know he said it's hard to predict, and I think it is difficult to predict because as we've seen over the past couple of years, you really never know what's going to happen. But it was interesting to hear that perspective of in-person is back and everything's gonna be in person, but potentially, you know, like we've been talking about, um, even last season, we have these amazing, you know, virtual tools that are going to enhance in-person experiences and also serve as more touch points throughout the
0: year. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that was a fair prediction. Like we don't want to be doom and gloom, but like more people who listen to this are probably going to be the people who are organizing mid to smaller events than huge, large events, just because there's, can only be so many huge, large events. And so I think just being aware of that and the need to, you know, if you are going to compete now with people's attention and being used to virtual events and kind of you know, then, then when they come back to in person this season, like you really need to wow them. You really need to show them why they're in person and why they need to be in person and why to our, you know, our points last season, why they need to get in a plane and why they need to justify it to their, to leadership, you know, that this is a good use of budget and a good use of their time. Um, And so, you know, upping production value, adding additional, you know, benefits that you can only get in person leveraging the, the, the local area and making partnerships with, you know, whatever restaurants or uh, venues or, you know, like whatever you can do to separate yourself so that you're not one of those that kind of go back to only virtual. I think there's, you know, there's no doubt there's a a benefit to having in-person events. And so this is, it's an interesting season where, you know, it could almost be that people are just so excited. They're not thinking about some of that. And so I hope that this podcast helps people to, you know, be excited, but also to recognize um, and, and, and plan ahead.
1: Yeah. And I think something that he hit on was personalization. I think that goes for both in-person and virtual. You know, we want to, as attendees, go to experiences that feel very tailored to our interests. And, um, you know, that ties into the the data conversation of talking and, and engaging with your audience before they get to your event to understand um, what are the nuances of their interest in in this particular topic. I think that's key for for in-person and virtual. In person, we got to get people in the door. And part of that is creating an experience and and communicating that that personalized value ahead of time. And for virtual, it's, you know, there is that bit of virtual fatigue, but if we create, you know, a very focused, um, you know, one hour virtual event where we maybe send out a survey ahead of the experience and really drill into what are those subtopics? What are those questions? What are the challenges that our audience have um, regarding that topic? How can we find the right speakers, um, adjust our, our talk track, create maybe net new content or repurpose content that really speaks to those those challenges, those interests, so that we're actually getting people to to show up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In the personalization piece, it's like, everybody wants personalized experiences like how do you actually do that right and and there's there's the big giant scary way which is like we need to have a 360 degree view of our customers and we have to have this big giant uh, you know CRM system that has all this data and know how to parse that data and know how to be able to see who all of our attendees are and what they want whatever and then there's some easy buttons at least in you know some event technology like there's opportunities to potentially use event technology for things like, uh, you know, asking questions that are sort of dynamic in the registration process, right? So you ask a question, you say, um, you know, are you attending this event in person or virtually, right? And then if the person says in person, um, then it's, you know, like, (laughs) do you want the chicken or the fish, right? But that's the easy one, but then you can go deeper and deeper. You can get into people's hobbies or interests for, you know, uh, after hours events or for particular workshops that you might recommend, or for whatever. Um, and so you know, looking for an event technology platform that has some of that, like that could be an easy way to kind of wow your attendees and show them that you can provide that personalized experience just with a few basic parameters, right? It's like a choose your own adventure. It's like there's gonna be three things that are kind of more tailored to a particular attendee depending on what they ask for um, and just take it one level deeper than the chicken or the fish. That combined with some of the other things we're talking about could be enough for someone to say, hey, maybe this is, you know, this is one of the events that is what good looks like now uh, in 2023 for in-person. And this is an event I want to attend again. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It's very much like how we shop for things. You know, if I go to a website and there's just one broad category and there's no subcategories and I think, oh, like that might not be for me, but if I can drill down and see that this brand has these Sub subcategories, subtopics that really resonate with me and a, a pain point that I'm experiencing or something that interests me, like I'm going to be way more inclined to want to attend that event, buy that product, um, because it's speaking to a specific area that I'm interested in versus just, you know, a, a broad approach. You might kind of lose some people.
0: I thought that the, the whole hybrid conversation was super interesting. Um, that was another one that I think added a lot of nuance to what we had talked about, you know, and it sounds like it, it, it was funny because we said that last season and we even wrapped last season saying like, you know, I kind of whispered to you like large in-person events, hybrid, right? But yeah, like that's ba- like, he would not say hybrid. Like he was not, mm-hmm. he, he did not want to commit to that. This looks like hybrid, which I think is fine because we're hearing that too. Like I think hybrid is now one of those words that people just are going to always assume, is overly complex and, and we're probably never gonna quite meet the expectation. And by the time we do, nobody will be even talking about hybrid anymore. Um, but it's just interesting because the definition, the way we're describing it is exactly what we're talking about. But yet again, we find that resistance to, to calling it hybrid and also a gap in what do you call?
1: yeah, you know, what do word. you
0: call in-person <laughs> events now that are clearly different,
1: mm-hmm. that
0: leverage virtual elements and technology they look different than in-person events used to be, but like, how do we explain that in a way that people really get that that is the core differentiator and it's different, but it doesn't have a name or it's just not easy to explain, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think hybrid just carries so much baggage. Um, So I thought it was yeah interesting that he said, I don't know what the name is, but it needs kind of a a rebrand.
0: Yeah, no, but I think it's important. I think it's important to, you know, first of all, realize that we're guessing at all of this. We're using, we're using, you know, what we're hearing and seeing in the market. That's, that's the goal of this podcast is we don't know. We're going to get things wrong. And you guys who are listening are going to get things wrong. And that's why we're trying to kind of learn and experiment and give you ideas and, and kind of hear what, you know, talk about what we're hearing, but it could be a combination. Like There's definitely a possibility that some of this stuff, like I don't think you can solve in-person attendance or making sure your mid-sized event uh, is around next year by just doing, you know, some kind of cool gimmicky brand activation, right? Like there have to be things beyond that, that is unique to in-person. That is the reason why I'm coming, whether it's interpersonal, you know, FaceTime with people that you need a way of delivering the content or the messaging or whatever that can only be done in-person particular events or after hours or leveraging the location in some way, Um, you that you have to be leaning into. It it can't be an in-person event that is an in-person version of the virtual event. Like it has to be unique and special because it's gonna cost more, it's gonna take more time. Um, And and I'm sure this isn't news to anybody, but I think this is the season where it really matters. This is the season where we really, like you can't afford to not deliver the type of in-person experience that your attendees are expecting yeah. because you're probably going to have hundred percent capacity this season, regardless, but next season, you know, and beyond is what you're setting up for. Um, Cause it's, you know, kind of this new era of events.
1: Yeah. And I want to I add one last thing he had talked about as far as event tech goes, the data piece being really important, but also just ease of use from a planner perspective, there is a lot involved with an in-person production and the importance of leveraging a tool where it kind of falls into the background, like it's seamless. It, it makes the planning experience, you know, easier from an attendee perspective. It, it's keeping everyone up updated and connected, but it's a, it's a tool that can that can kind of fall into the background and kind of underpin the entire experience, but um, exists in a way that just makes a planner's life easier uh, while also enhancing the attendee experience. I think that's important to know, too.
0: Thanks for joining us, Miguel. And thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another great guest. Until then, I'm Nolan Ether.
1: And I'm Olivia Van Kieran. This podcast is brought to you by WebEx Events, formerly Socio. Before you go, be sure to leave a review and follow the show so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk with you next time on Event Horizons.